All right. Good morning, everybody from LA. This is our season two of Besenwagen Worldwide. My name is Bastian Marx. Mine is Paul Voss. And my name is Andy Stauf. And we are delighted to welcome awesome Phil Gaiman with us. Hi, Phil. Howdy. Thanks for having me, guys. Hi, Phil. Just told you, uh, we're quite in the neighborhood right now. I'm in LA and um, it's eight o'clock in the morning at Phil and my uh, little home here in Pasadena. And um, guys, how late it is in Germany? Is it it's, five o'clock in the afternoon? It's five, but it's you're not in LA, you're in Pasadena. So you can't say you're in LA. Isn't it right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like saying I'm in Potsdam. No, living in Potsdam saying I'm in Berlin, but you know you you can't say that. Busty. It depends on where the other person is. <laughs> if if the person you're talking to is from LA, then you can't get away with that. If they're from, you know, Topeka, Kansas, you can say I'm from LA and you're in Pasadena. You're right though. Uh, the Valley is definitely not uh, LA, and neither is uh, is Pasadena. Um, but proudly, I'm a Valley person, so no shame in uh, in lying about that. So I have been training quite a lot around uh, Calabasas. You're like when I had my yep. trips to US, and so you, I just noticed one big canyon road. You're living up there towards Casa. Um, oh, sorry, Calabasas or where is Woodland Hills? Yeah, I'm on. I'm I'm right next to Calabasas. Okay. Uh, so basically, like the southernmost part of the really nice Malibu riding yeah. is sort of where I. There's like one neighborhood that was kind of affordable by LA standards. If you go if you go half a mile the other direction, you're in Calabasas. Now it's an extra three hundred thousand dollars for the same house. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Kardashians live over there. We live over here. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, but it's it's good. It's really nice for the bike riding part. Pasadena is tricky. Did you bring a bike in Pasadena? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. The riding there is a little bit harder. There's some nice stuff, but it's it's harder to find. Yes, I'm I'm here like for three days now, and uh, we already did one like 80, 90 mile LA River tour to Long okay. Beach and back. One river down, another river up. Next day we did uh, Mount Wilson from here. And okay, yes, that's a nice ride. Yesterday we hiked Mount Baldy. <laughs> It's like a there you go. Quit quit active vacation here. <laughs> yeah, that's that's enough. But the the LA River tour was you're it's generous to call that a river because that's a that's a sewer gutter, you know. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> they call yeah. it a river, but it's one. It's like it's all paved. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> for, for my European ass, this is like I come here for this for seeing this. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Yeah. 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 All right. Good. To see all the all the dirt <laughs> but uh, right, right yeah, along Com Compton and stuff like this and <laughs> but no, you're, it, it's, uh, it's definitely an adventure you, you grew up in Ohio huh? is that right uh, I was yeah. born in Ohio we moved oh sorry which one of us you yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in Ohio or was born in Ohio moved when I was very young uh, so I actually really grew up in Atlanta ah okay um, it's definitely like very urban no I didn't get into bike riding until I moved away let's come back to this because um, not everyone mostly the listeners will be germans maybe sure. we hope you can you can share it and some americans get in but mostly the listeners will be german um okay. mostly our listeners are yeah cyclists and will know you but not all of them so i'll give Got a it. really quick intro to phil gaiman and then we get into your career and your retirement that's good 
Phil Gaiman is quite as old as Paul, huh? 1986, is that right, mm -hmm. Paul? Yep. I don't know. <laughs> Paul, are you 86? I'm 86, yeah. But I don't know how old yeah. you are, but now I know because you're as old yeah. as me. But you are still younger than Basti, which is good. Yeah. Mm. I'm always the oldest here. Um, yeah, you're born in Ohio, Columbus. Then moved to Atlanta and sometime to LA. We will ask you about this, why you landed up in LA. And um, yes, you've been a pro rider from 2009 till 2016. And it was a little bit of a roller coaster, <laughs> as I maybe can say. It's fair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, take us through this. You started at Jelly Belly, like one of the coolest jerseys in the peloton. Um, <laughs> you moved to uh, Kenda, uh, then to Bissell, and then in 2014, your first World Tour year at Garmin Sharp. You won your first race in, in the World Tour, not a World Tour race, but as in a World Tour team. In that race, the Tour of San Luis, you ended up second in GC behind Nairo Quintana. You will uh, be able to tell this to your grandchildren if you ever have some. <laughs> um, but uh, you did quite a long season in, at Garmin Sharp, moved back to Conti level in 2015 and moved up to World Tour level with Cannondale in 16 again and then retired. And... Now, take us through this. Why this? <laughs> why this up and down? And why? What? What did Jonathan Waters tell you? <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 I could pull up my text messages and just show him not responding for three yeah. years. Um, <laughs> I I wrote a book about this, so it's kind of hard to summarize. I wrote a book about it, which I believe is it was translated to German. I'm not sure if it's still for sale there. Uh, those rights, I have no idea how that works. But Draft Animals goes through it in detail for people who who want to know. But um, I kind of I got into racing in you know a little bit late for someone who's going to go pro. I started in college, so I was I was uh, 18, 19 years old, um, and it was kind of just I really enjoyed cycling at the time. I was like I I liked riding my bike around Atlanta in high school. I was um, I was obese at like 13, 14. I was fat. Um, so I started riding and kind of just enjoyed it. And then when I went to college, I was like, oh, I like riding bikes. I'll join the cycling club, uh, not realizing that they were like a racing team. Um, and that was how I got into racing. I just thought I was going to be like riding bikes with people. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I got into racing there and it was, I always say like, it's the first thing I was ever good at. Um, like I won the first race I did like in the lower amateur categories, but, but I won, um, and I was pretty quickly competitive with like guys who've been doing it for a long time. Um, so I, I was really into bike racing and I was watching, you know, Lance and the Tour de France and all that. Um, and when I graduated I had an English degree, um, it was, you know, the, I, the other joke I would say is the English factory wasn't hiring. So I joined a pro team. That was when I joined Jelly Belly. Um, and I didn't, you know, you don't realize until you're in it. I think when you know, when I was 18, looking at like all the guys on Jelly Belly, like you assume pro athletes, you see their big fancy bus, uh, you know, you assume they're getting a salary of some sort. And then I get there and my salary for the whole year was $2,000. Um, and I, it was, and that was kind of like the next five years for me was just like trying to figure out how to do that. Um, and trying to and like, oh, okay, this is what I need to do. 
to make a living and kind of live this pro cycling dream. And then you sort of get there. Uh, and you know, I win this, I win the first big race in the U S that I did. And it's like, okay, my salary next year is $15,000. Um, and all the way up to the world tour, um, which, so finally, you know, it took me a few years kind of floundering around in the U S I kind of like to compare American racing to, to, you know, professional basketball in Europe where, you know, the NBA is here and that's where the best guys end up. Um, but if you, but there are a few guys who, who play full time and are very serious and, and great athletes who compete in Europe and then kind of the best handful of them are picked and pulled over and they get to get rich and be in the NBA. Uh, but there is a whole vibrant scene here that exists that you just don't know about because <laughs> you're watching the NBA. Yeah. That's kind of like the world tours over in Europe. Um, and, and here, at least at the time, we had, you know, do 50 race days and all kinds of stage races. And it was sort of, um, not going to say like a tryout for the, the world tour, but those teams would see it. Um, and kind of every year, like one guy or, or maybe every two years, one guy would get pulled over. So like uh, Ted King went to Europe. He's a couple of years older than me. Um, and then, and then I managed to do it, but I was 27 at the time. Um, and it was a pretty quick or pretty difficult change as far as like the races that you train for versus the races. It was just significantly harder. (laughs) That's not surprising to anybody, but I was like, you know, I was winning mountaintop finishes in the U S and then I train hard. I go to Europe and yeah, I, I won my first race. That was kind of a lucky, I was in a breakaway uh, so I got like a four minute lead on Quintana and then he chipped away at it over the whole stage race. So I still held on a second. Um, but I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't blowing off the, or killing the world tour guys my, my first time. Um, but I was, you know, winning mountaintop races in the U S and then in Europe, I'm out there like, okay, I'm doing, I'm setting my power record and I'm in the second group. Um, mm. that was sort of that experience. But, uh, I, but for sure, like by the end of 2014, I had it figured out. I knew like, you know, I was, I was definitely a domestique, but I knew how to do it. The, the caravan is kind of a mess to navigate. Um, I had some results. I had some, uh, top tens at like, I rode well tour of Colorado, Utah, all the American stuff, kind of the late season of the fall then. Um, and I was like, all right, I got this figured out. Like, you know, next year I'll make more than the world tour minimum. And, uh, and that was when Garmin Sharp merged with Cannondale, so half the riders all got fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I was on the wrong side of that. Um, so I went back to an American team, which is now called Rally. Uh, it was called Optum then, but like definitely like the best American team you could be on at the time. Yeah. Um, so still making the same salary. It was $50,000 for the year, which was great for me because I was sleeping in my car three years before making zero dollars. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't complaining, but, uh, but it definitely wasn't like the pro cycling or the professional athlete life, um, or really like a good life for an adult. Um, did well that year, got signed back to Cannondale. So that year, uh, Mike Woods was on the team on often with me. Uh, so we got signed back to Cannondale together, uh, as with, uh, Guillaume Boivin was on that team, uh, with us. So we, we kind of all go back to Europe the next year, but I was teammates with Woodsy for, for those two years. Um, and then 16, I don't really, I don't really know what happened. I was, I was 30 at that point. Um, I, but kind of, I just never felt like I had, I never really had a schedule from the team. I didn't know, like, this is the next race you're going to do. I didn't know what to train for. Um, they kept kind of like, I would be on the list for something and then I would get pulled off it. 
Um, and like every race I went to, I did well and I did what I was supposed to. Um, but then like, you know, the two days before Roubaix, they're like, okay, you're going to that one. I'm like, well, come on. <laughs> like I'm not, uh, so I did Roubaix on, on two days notice, but it was one of those, like, as an athlete, there's no, uh, there's no way to perform in that kind of situation. Um, you know, I was at the, the Perry Nice Grand Fondo. I was doing events for Cannondale. Um, and what I kind of realized like pretty early that year was they weren't, they weren't really treating me as a, as a rider on the team. I was sort of a, uh, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what role they were looking for me to fill, but, uh, it wasn't like a serious athlete thing. And then when you're not, you're not sent to races that you can perform at, you're not, uh, you're not really able to perform. So at the end of that year, like no team's going to sign whatever that was. It's not like I had any results from that year. Cause I'm doing like rainy stage races in Belgium with no Hills. Yeah, um, I'm doing Roubaix on no notice. Yeah. There's just a lot of like, you look at it, it's like, there was no way I was going to survive. So they kind of like put me out to pasture in a weird way. Um, which I felt, you know, at the time I was 30, that's, that's, you know, not young, but it's not old either. Um, but I kind of, I was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. It's just been a tired, like my twenties were exhausting. Um, and, and it was clearly like whatever my arc was, it, it wasn't working. So I was like, right, I'm going to move on. Uh, I'm going to get a job. And my, my sports agent offered to hire me for, uh, for his agency, uh, which is like a big sports agency here. And I was like, cool, that's a great exit. I'll do that. Um, and I, so I, I kind of start getting ready for that. So this would have been like 2017, January, I was supposed to start that job. Um, but, uh, so I stopped racing in 2016, announced my retirement. Before we stop talking about your retirement, because actually that's probably <laughs> where the most people know you of now, or at least when they're hanging around on YouTube and uh, exactly. like, if they're like cookies as you, um, but what I find interesting, you just mentioned you earned like $2,000 in the first year. And then you mentioned like three years ago, you had to sleep in the car. So like, I guess around 2013 or 2012. Yeah. So, I mean, for us Europeans, you know, like we, I would say we don't earn more in the Conti team, you know, at least now, mm -hmm. but at least life is much cheaper here <laughs> and mo in most places right but how how did you survive then on that salary and how did you have an, or got an income had, did you have to work like the days where you didn't train or how yeah how did you make a sure the first years um yeah i mean that was it was a struggle it was uh, a lot of like kind of sleeping on couches um there was i have to make i have to basically i have to win this race to get the prize money to drive to the next race um But for the most part, it was like freelance writing. Um, I had my English degree. So like pretty much when I started racing for Jelly Belly, I, I got like Bicycling Magazine uh, paid me like $200 a week for a blog. So I was writing for them. Then I had a column in Velo News. Um, and then after, was it beginning of 2010, I started like a small business, like selling uh, cycling clothing online. Uh, so we were doing like kind of custom team clothing and that, that, that business is long gone. Um, but really just like a combination of, uh, a bunch of hustles that I could do from my laptop on my own time while I was on the road. So I never had like a job, but I always had five jobs. <laughs> you already um, started the career you have now. <laughs> like, yeah. I like being some kind of like, a journalist journalist or right. doing merch and yeah. Exactly. And the thing that's yeah. funny too, is like, you don't think about it. the column that I wrote for Velo news, which lasted 
uh, six or seven years, it was called Ask a Pro, and it was the idea was people would like email me at a contact form or website. People would email me questions, um, and you know that's before Instagram. And I realized mm-hmm. like same questions I get now in my DMs. It's it's the same thing really, just like engaging with an audience. Mm-hmm. I was doing seven years before in print, um, you know, not knowing mm-hmm. I was like practicing for what was going to eventually be Instagram yeah. <laughs> and YouTube comments. Are you a secret pro? Um- <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not. I don't. I don't like that whole idea, to be honest. Uh, put your name on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you're doing something, like I don't know. It seems it's it's interesting, and I see the point of it, but it's also like kind of cowardly. Like I don't know. I put my name on my book. I got a lot of trouble for stuff. Um, um, what what comes what comes to my mind is you you became then a world tour pro in 2014, and you um, mm-hmm. you mentioned like watching lands, winning the tour, and stuff like that, and in Germany, we have a total different situation then. Like for my two colleagues here, they became pro in that era too, like late 2000s. And um, it was super difficult. How was that in the US? How did the US scene and like you had with uh, Garmin and Kendale, you had an US team um, mm-hmm. still performing in, in the top level. How did you see that? breakdown of the scene in Europe and what was it like for you did you like we have Jan Ulrich he is like yeah in in the public he got totally damaged he he right. wasn't a public figure anymore like even less than that um, it was a bit different with Lance but how was this period for you and how was it to become a pro then in the US yeah I think I, it's that's interesting comparison between Lance and, and Ulrich. It's it's hard. Like I'm kind of too close to it to see. I feel like Lance is still uh, far more successful than he should be. <laughs> like he still has a bizarre number of fans, um, which is it's one of those things. Like I, you know, he's he's very good at telling his story and getting the word out that everyone was doping, so I had to dope. Um, which isn't not true, but it's also like a, a very interesting omission. Um, so from, but I know like he is widely hated, I'm sure like, or a lot of people, you know, are, are sick of him and, and I'm sure like his income isn't what it used to be. Uh, but it is, it is interesting to see like, yeah, he still has fans. Okay. Like you guys know that he was staring at the camera for 10 years and saying, I didn't do drugs, but he was doing drugs and he was carrying bags of his own blood around and lying to you about it. Mm. And like the loyalty is completely one way, <laughs> like, but it, but somehow like that seems to work for him. So that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting that like Ulrich was really persona non grata. Has he, he's made a comeback, no? No, no, Like not people really. are more <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, people, people in Germany, like once different. a year or every, every second year he, he's coming back in the public and he has a lot of fans still too. Um, but the yeah. news, newspapers write and ah, Ulrich is back and he's looking good, hmm. but then he has a breakdown again. That's I mean, the story. Uh, I mean, for context. Yeah, he has, I guess, uh, yeah. for context, we have like now 25 years since his uh, yeah. tour win. win. And in Germany, mm. like the public TV stations made a, I think, five or six piece documentary about this whole story, mm-hmm. including the downfall, all the truck stuff. And right. he had, like, I mean, Lance looked much more controlled in his yeah. retirement than Ulrich did yet like alcohol and drug yeah, he, uh, abuse and all this shit. Yeah, Ulrich had different so problems. It, it's different, but at the moment I think in Germany the public is kind of like getting an 
or becoming, how you say, like in peace with Ulrich, you know, say, all right, it's it's now mm -hmm. enough. We accept just what he did and, and how he is and move on. Um, with Lance, it feel, from here, it feels differently, you know, I, I don't, because he's still so right. visible and he does a lot of stuff. Yeah. And you say he's Ulrich, probably he, not earning the same amount of money, but I guess right. he's still earning a shitload of money with cycling. Mm. <laughs> here, here is just famous currency and people either like you or hate you and you can make money no matter what. Mm. Is what it kind of looks like. So it's everyone like either loves or hates the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah, um, and we just get more and more with everything. Americans just more and more two sided on every issue, and we'll yeah. argue about it. But but, um, but so anyway, to answer your question, going pro then. So I kind of watched it when I when I first started. So now we're like 2008, 2009 is when I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try this bike racing thing uh, seriously. Um, at that point, there were the 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 scene of like domestic racing in the U S that whole scene was very vibrant. There was, uh, probably like 80 male professionals making some sort of a living and a living being like $25,000 a year, mm -hmm. but your expenses are paid and you get to like, kind of live like an athlete and they're doing races that are interesting. Um, and so there's a lot of teams, a lot of riders, by the time I was kind of good enough, by the time I won Redlands, uh, there was, there's five teams left. Redlands is kind of like the biggest race in the U S. Um, by the time I did, there was five teams left. And, you know, so when I started, there's guys making six figures, not seven, but six. Um, if they're winning these races, by the time I went Redlands, I was making 15,000. Uh, and there were only a few teams left. And I was kind of like, Oh, if I want to make a living at this, I have to go to Europe. <laughs> that was sort of how it was. Um, and at the time, uh, really the only team, well, it was complicated for me, but really the only team that I could have possibly been on was uh, Garmin Sharp, now EF. Um, I was I was very outspoken about doping because of kind of, I think, where I came up. Uh, I, I kind of blame that whole downfall on the Lance and the confessions, the way the American racing died. I think there was a bubble when Lance was popular and people were interested in sponsoring American cycling. Um, and then, you know, when he went on Oprah, you know, two years later, there's no teams left and there's no races and there's no sponsors. Um, I definitely like connected those dots, uh, from, from my view where I, what I was seeing. Um, yeah, so it was really, it was EF or nothing or, you know, Garmin Sharp or nothing at that point. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And you, what I, uh, wanted to point out is that you, when did you get your tattoo and when did you have a tattoo of a soap and it's written clean, yeah. clean on it? So uh, you That's already right. said that you were outspoken about like being against doping and everything. And right. that, that's what your second career was built on actually. Now, now yeah. the, the Brand, Brand Sörensen stuff starts. <laughs> <laughs> when when Correct, did you yeah. when did you get your tattoo and <laughs> what did it lead to in the end? The yeah the tattoo was after I think it was national championship road race in either I think it would have been 2011 um, might have been 2010 but there was uh, you know th th at this point it was like here's this whole scene of of domestic racers and we're all working hard and then uh, you know once a year we have the national championships and these European guys come over um, and. You know, I was at that point, I'd been taking it seriously for five years. I was pretty competitive. I was getting some results. Uh, and then you get there and, and these these guys come over from the world tour and they're they're literally just aliens from a different planet. It's just like I, I was like, I thought I was I thought I had some idea what I was doing. And I'm and I'm I'm dropped, you know, and, and everyone's dropped. And it was uh, 
So I think I forget if Hincapi or Levi won, but like the the breakaway that year was a big guy who's not a climber and a climber <laughs> who just really had our way with us. And I was and it was one of those just like doping is bullshit. Lance was kind of coming down or or going to go down, but here's this whole generation of guys who were not accepted in Europe, but coming over here. So like Mansebo was running races in the US. Um, like rock racing was a team that literally like popped up in LA, mm -hmm. uh, ironically. And they're like, we're just going to hire everyone from Operation Puerto who can't get a job. That's directly what he did and, and show up at Redlands. And I'm like, you know, at that point I was 22 and racing like Victor Hugo Pena and Tyler Hamilton. And, and it was like, what is going on here? Um, so yeah, I think in 2011, I just got fed up and, uh, and I wanted to, and, and then the other part too, is that, you know, you go to a doctor, um, I just went to get like my annual physical one year in, in Gainesville, Florida. I'm, I'm just finishing college. I remember the doctor saw, you know, a little thing you fill out, what's your occupation? And I said, pro cyclist. He closed the door. He's like, okay, well, pro cyclist. So what are you on? EPO, steroids, human growth. And I was like, no, man, I'm broke. Like, <laughs> Like I'm not, I'm not one of those. Like I know what you're reading, I guess. I don't blame you, but uh, so I kind of just felt like I had to differentiate myself. Um, and it wasn't just me. There was a lot of guys not doping at that point. So I got a tattoo. Um, it's a bar of soap on my right arm. It said "Clean on it," um, and it kind of just made me feel better. But I think it was convincing for a lot of people. Like, okay, not all professional cycling is dirty. Um, and then it kind of turned this weird thing a few years later, where you know I was. I was winning a lot of the races in the U.S. Like I kind of got to the top of that scene when I was on Bissell, um, and and Vodders at that point had this little scandal of he had Vandeveld, he had Zabriskie, he had Danielson, uh, David Miller, he had all these guys who suddenly had to say like, oh yeah, we were doing this, and they were trying to get Lance down. It was a whole political mess, um, and in a weird way. But here's and here's me winning stuff, and strangely, like Vodders had to sign me at that point. Just from a media PR perspective, he had no excuse to not sign me. There was a lot of, I think there was a lot of pressure from like the cycling media um, and and the public, the kind of whatever, you know, fans I had built at that point. Interesting. So it worked out for me in a funny way. Um, but then I get there and I'm surrounded by dopers who don't like me. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, that, that was, yeah, it was just a strange, I, like looking back now, I'm like, oh, that's what that was. Um But you know, I was never going to be on the tour squad. Yeah, um, I was. I was there because they had to have me there. Before we come to your second career, uh, I'm yep. going to ask you. Our podcast is called Besenwagen. Do you know what the Besenwagen is? No, sorry, I don't. It's a broom wagon in German. Oh, sure. And I know what that is. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm familiar with the broom. <laughs> <laughs> we ask every guest here if he's got a, a good story out of the broom wagon. Like, did, did you ever sit in one? In one of the Belgian oh, yeah, rainy races? In, for sure, I've been <laughs> in the broom wagon. Um, normally, like, I, you prefer the team car to the broom wagon. If you're a world tourer, you got team cars, so you don't have to do the broom wagon as much. My broom wagon experiences were more like, uh, you know, the amateur days in the U.S. Um, or, or races in Asia, something like that. So, yeah, I did. Uh, I think here's a good, yeah, here's a good broom wagon. The Tour of Hainan. So this is when I'm on Jelly Belly. This is uh, end of the year, end of the season race in China. Um, and I had, I forget what I, I think I had like a dumb crash one day and just like jacked up my knee stage three out of seven. No, I finished, whatever, I forget which race. Some, some, some weird end of season China race. That was what we did back then. Um, but the, 
my flight wasn't out of China for another like week. So I had to take the broom wagon every day, point to point to the next stage finish. Uh, and it was like me and one teammate had both DNF the same day. And we spent the whole week in the broom wagon and then we'd get to the finished town and find like a KFC. Uh, it was very depressing. Um, yeah, we had a, a full week of broom wagon. Once, once you're in the world tour, you just get in a team car and they take you somewhere, which helps. Roubaix, I didn't have to experience the Roubaix broom wagon, for example, but obviously I would have. Yeah. <laughs> I have plenty of DNFs. Andy got a question, like he told us before. He got that story of, of Jonathan Waters and you had to do a, a training tour de France or something. Andy, do you still yeah. remember? I think I oh, read yeah. about that. So before you actually started your first year with Garmin, I, th I think it was, or was mm -hmm. it maybe the second time already? So the idea was to get you into that, to get the World Tour volume you know, in training, mm -hmm. you had to do like a three week tour on your, on your own. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That was, uh, that was when I was, when I was on Bissell. So I had just come through this American scene and the, the logic, and I won't say this isn't, this isn't true is the, the, the racing in the U S you kind of sit in the pack and it's 210 Watts. And then there's a mountaintop finish and, and I, you know, I, whatever I could do and I could win that. Um, but very different, beast physiologically just to sit in the pack uh versus europe where like being in the pack actually wears you out you're not uh you're not so fresh um in the group so vader's idea was to to kind of to train me for that he had me do the we call it the tour de fill where basically i had to do the the number of we just looked at the number of kilojoules mm. that they do during the tour de france uh or during whatever a grand tour stage And I do that every day for three weeks. I had two rest days. Um, I had just moved to LA. Um, so yeah, it was basically just, just four to six hours every day going really hard, okay. <laughs> uh, in, in traffic and no support and no, uh, you know, no follow car. Uh, just me kind of like, learn. it was a good way to learn. I just moved here. So it was a good way to learn the roads. <laughs> um, but it was, it was definitely an interesting how, how, experience. How did you like it? when you came up with that idea <laughs> was that Jonathan um, Waters bullshitting you or was it really <laughs> productive it was it was both I mean like you know if you train really hard you're going to improve from it just <laughs> as a rule like every every pedal stroke you do arguably makes you better <laughs> um, but a part of it I think like I don't think he'd thought it through he hadn't looked at my training logs um, you know he didn't know where I was at in my season um, I think I think a little of it was just like Vodder's enjoying uh, control, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think he kind of just likes to play with people, and I experienced a fair bit of that in the coming years. Um, but uh, yeah, what, what, what his intentions were don't make sense. And it's not like I was given a chance to do a grand tour the next year. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was good training, of course. You ride really hard for three weeks, and you're, you're faster from it eventually. Um, yeah. All right. You were just moving or you just moved to LA um yep point a how did that come point b um tell us a bit about riding in LA like I really enjoy sure. it I'm here for the third time now and I'm mm -hmm. always impressed how many people ride their race bikes or road bikes here yeah um yeah yeah no you you wouldn't think of it when you if you visit LA like most people do as tourists or if you just you know, see LA on, do you think Hollywood Boulevard, you see the traffic on the 405 and think this looks like the worst place to ride a bike, um, which, which is true. Uh, but 
but when you kind of figure it out, there's some, honestly, well, A, the weather's perfect year round, except right now it's too hot. Um, but in general, the weather's perfect. And, uh, and there's a section of, of roads where, where I ride. So you're in the Mount Wilson area, which is really nice. Pasadena has some really good hills. Uh, Mount Baldy's great. Um, but to me, like really the meat of it is Malibu, which is just north of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, you know, there's the road along the coast, Pacific Coast Highway. Um, and then there's just a big hill behind it, which, uh, the top of the hill is Mulholland Highway. Um, and then the backside is where I live. Um, but basically there's just a million different climbs up from the coast and up from the valley, up the same ridge. Um, and you can play around in there for, for really a week and not do the same climb twice. But there's, you know, the, the fastest times up these climbs, some of them are 30 minutes or more. Um, there's, there's no very little traffic. Yeah, it's basically 10 kilometers, 10% <laughs> every, yeah. every climb. It's yeah. crazy, really. There's a lot of it. Uh, but it really is like a paradise uh, yeah. for, for cycling. And it's, it's very close to the city. Um, and I kind of moved to a part more recently, but I moved to a part that's, uh, but even in the city, like you can sneak out to Griffith park. Um, mm. that's like really, there's, there's two different climbs that are 15 minute KOM. So like really 25 minute climbs, uh, if you're just riding, uh, that are closed to cars, like the cars aren't allowed mm. <laughs> on, it goes up to the observatory. Um, and that's right from the city. Hollywood has some really nice Hills. So once you figure it out, uh, it's, it's an incredible place. So I came here, I was doing altitude training in, in Big Bear, which is like two hours mm-hmm. inland from here, uh, in 20, 2012 and 13. And I had a friend who'd moved to a thousand Oaks, which is kind of the, the Malibu section, that same section of riding the Santa Monica mountains. Um, I just went to visit him and, and I was like, Oh, I'm not driving. I'm not leaving here. <laughs> like I, I had a little house in Georgia at the time, um, way back East. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to find a way to stay here. Uh, which, which I did. It took a while to figure it out, but, um, yeah, I love it here. Okay. And then tell us who, like, I think he's called Michael, Michael Brandt Sorensen. Um, is that his uh, name? It, it's Nick, Nick, you're close. Nick, uh, okay. Nick Brandt Sorensen. Yeah. Nick Brandt Sorensen. Who is this? Yeah. Right, 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 that's, right, right. That's so, another... So, go ahead, that's, sorry. That's his proper name and not Torfin, <laughs> yeah. whatever. No, no. That's his actual name. Okay, because I always felt like... I, I googled him because I know this guy. I follow him on Instagram. I know his brand. Mm-hmm. But I thought the brand is actually just a, a name he made up. And this Torfin is his real name. But then I googled him and couldn't find anything like regarding cycling. Okay. Right. But this guy seems to be nuts. <laughs> Yeah, that's a. Th- I don't. I don't know if I want to name him. Uh, I mean, it's too late. His name's in the podcast. It's not like it's private. But uh, I. I don't. I don't know him. What? So what happened when I came here? I. Uh, I didn't. When you're a pro, you don't have Strava. At least back then. Now they do. But when mm-hmm. I was racing, like we were all too good for Strava. Like Strava is this place where these idiots hang out uh, mm-hmm. and and think they're good and go for KOMs. We're doing bike races. You know, we're doing the real thing. Um, there was definitely like a, a sneer at the whole Strava community back then. Um, But when I kind of figured out that I was retiring, uh, I was starting to have, I started my Fondo, which is in Malibu. Um, so I was like, okay, I should probably engage with this Strava community. I should see what's going on. So I created an account. I followed some random people in California and I started posting my rides. Um, and I did the group ride. There's like a Sunday fast group ride that goes up this hill in Hollywood. Um, and, and the first time I did the group, I put on Strava and I took the KOM for the climb, which was like, one of the most hotly contested climbs in the city. And I'm just doing the group ride with my friends and, and it's over. And I, and I put on Strava and I start getting text messages like, Oh my God, you took Thorfinn's KOM. 
And I'm like, who's Thorfinn? Who cares? It's a Strava. Uh, I was like, you know, I won Redlands, right? You're proud of me for taking a KOM. Who cares about? <laughs> but that's that's you know the the Strava at the time that everyone's mind. So apparently there was this one guy who had. And if you look at the time, he he had the he had the record from the bottom of every hill to the top of every hill in L.A. And there's thousands of them. <laughs> like it was there's a there's all these hills and and just if you look at the map of L.A., it's just nothing but twisty climbs. And this guy just had an incredible body of work under a fake name of Thorfinn Sasquatch. Um, and Sasquatch, I don't know how that translates, but the Sasquatch is like uh, like the chupacabra in in Mexico. It's just like this legendary man gorilla thing that that rednecks say they saw in the woods and it's a whole so yeah it's it's it was a a well name for like a a good name for like a mysterious being that no one knows who he is no one knows who he looks like uh and yeah so then it turned out um but people i think resented him and, and around that time it had come out that his actual name and this was a guy who had uh, tested positive at Masters Nationals, uh, like the age group nationals in the U.S. for uh, for for doping. I forget if he, I forget what he tested positive for. And then there was like uh, there was uh, there was some kind of like an FBI case that he was distributing or selling EPO. Um, so what it looked like to to the LA community was like, oh, this is a guy who who can't race anymore. So now he's doping to get you know the Nichols KOM Strava, um, and. But but weirdly, like no one could beat him but me, you know, and, and here I'm a guy who like I'm, you know, a top 40 climber on the planet. You know, I'm not if you're top 10, you get paid a lot of money for top 40. You get flung around on domestic on, on pro cycling teams and, and not told what your race schedule is. Um, but I was good enough to get any of the KOMs from this guy. And while I was kind of waiting for, you know, so this is like August, September of my year. I know I'm retiring, but I'm still technically on the team through the end of December. Um, and then I'm going to start my job in January was the plan. But, uh, I was like, all right, in that four or five month window, I'm just going to get KOMs from this guy and it'll be fun. Uh, so just, I would do a day, I would do a rest day and then I'd go to a KOM from it. I just, people would kind of message me like, Oh, here's one. You should get this one. Uh, and they just literally like send me a segment and and I just thought it was kind of fun killing time and people appreciated it. And it was like, you know, I put a screenshot of me on Instagram with uh, with him second. Uh, it would you know, I would always get a lot of likes. I'm like, all right, people like it. I should keep doing it. Um, and then as as that year wound down, the the job I was supposed to get. I don't really know what happened with that. I think like he eventually got either he left that company, the guy who's going to hire me, my agent was either he, either he left or got fired. I'm not really sure. Uh, but the job that I thought I had that I quit racing for, like I had offers from teams I could have kept racing. They weren't good offers, but they were offers. Um, but this seemed like a better chance or a better thing for a, a 30 year old. Um, but some of that job didn't exist anymore, but a couple brands who at the time it was Cannondale, who I'd been racing with, mm-hmm. uh, a few of the brands I worked with as an athlete were all like, Hey, can we be involved in this Strava thing? Um, and I was like, well, I don't really even know what that is. Um, actually I recognized also, it at that, at that moment and I loved it too. I think I, I yeah, got it, it from fun. Instagram and <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Yeah, it was, it was a fun thing to do. Um, but also like it just no one had ever done anything like that and been sponsored for it, you know, mm-hmm. um, well, still, I don't think anyone's been really sponsored for Strava. Um, but my 
my, the other thing I was doing at the time was, uh, you know, I live in LA now. I'd made some friends, like actually where I lived was close to Hollywood. Um, and I had an idea for like a TV show, kind of like a cycling travel show was the concept. Um, and I'd been pitching that and the, the feedback I was getting was, well, who are you to host a show? How do you know how to host a show? And I'm like, well, that's fair. I, yeah, I don't know how to host a show. Um, so the idea was when these, when, you know, when Canada wanted to sponsor me, uh, I was like, well, what if I make a YouTube show where I go for KOMs and that'll be like kind of my resume for, for networks when I'm pitching my TV show. Um, and this will just sort of be practice for a few months and then I'll go back to the networks and be like, okay, how about now? Here's, here's mm. me hosting a show. So all those random things kind of aligned and, I, uh, and, and as me getting a job got harder and harder, I think by the end of that year, so now in 2017, I had, you know, like Mavic was a sponsor, like a few brands that, that I'd race with that kind of come in. But every month I was like, okay, this job isn't starting. I better get one more sponsor. Um, and then I think at the end of that year, I added up all the sponsors and it was like $88,000. And I was like, well, that's more money than I made from bike <laughs> racing ever. So I guess I should just do that. <laughs> uh and, and yeah, so that's, that's called worst retirement ever. Um, and I'm now on year six and I'm far more known from YouTube than I was from mm -hmm. racing. Um, and if I'd planned it, I would have been completely insane. Um, but, uh, but here we are and it's been really fun. And and now I'm kind of doing, I have a charity component and I'm kind of, I, I kind of do what I want. And it works. Yeah. But uh, how, um, how did all these yeah. cookie things started? Like, I mean, wait, wait, last question. Yeah. Are there yep. Sasquatch comms left? Or did you, did you do this? Did you succeed to, or are you happy with your yes work? Yes and no. I, yes. And the, the thing is, um, he, the, the level that he, that he went was either impressive or insane or both. But he has some stuff like up, down this one, up this one, down this mm, one, around okay. this lake, yeah. and then back up. So no, I don't have all of them. Mm. Uh, but like if the it, but every, but everything that's relevant, yeah. I have. Um, or or he, there's a lot of them that he's not even on top five anymore. It's interesting. Yeah. Like the the game has risen. But uh, so yeah, I, I think my my work is never completely done. There's a few like gravel ones that he has uh, that, but for the most part, I, I think yeah, it's 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 cleaned up. Um, and it's just a lot harder. The, the, the Strava game in Los Angeles is, uh, you've got to be good and have like a good day to get like an uphill KOM yeah. here. Uh, there's a few places in the world now that it's like that, but, uh, LA is definitely up there. I'm out there with a speed suit and a 12 pound bike and <laughs> I mean, as a pro yeah. or like a, like an athlete that did competitions. So obviously you had motivation for your training. How did you mm -hmm. find your motivation, like going for Strava comps? Was it that much motivating uh, for you or was it that you thought, because you just said, my work is not done. Did you think <laughs> of it like a job? I have to do it, you know? It, it was, it's far, it's, the thing is, it's fun. And even as a racer, the, the training was never the hard part. Other than days where the weather's bad, it was never like, oh, I have to go ride today. You know, like the riding was always the good part. And then the the part that I struggle with as a pro was the politics. Like I talked about and, and finding a team and getting to the race and figuring out how to pay for this and that. Um, I, I always liked doing intervals. Um, yeah. So when it came to, to, 
doing a KOM, I was like, oh, good. I have like a reason to do this thing that I love, which is like, I like to see my body as a project. Uh, I like to kind of work hard. I definitely don't train as much or as hard as I used to, um, but it's it's pretty close. Um, and yeah, no motivation, it, but, but I don't get the same... When I take a KOM, it doesn't feel like winning a race. I don't, I, and I see people who like don't race and get KOMs and I'm like, oh man, you should try that other thing. <laughs> Cause the yeah. feeling when you like get to do this, when you get to put your arms up, like that's incredible. And I know I'll just never have that again. Um, and, and a KOM just, unfortunately, like it, it doesn't come close. Um, I, I like it for other reasons, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's not that, that motivation isn't there. Okay. Um, but I don't think that motivation is healthy. <laughs> the other thing when you're the, the motivation to like get to raise your arms once a year, and the way that like I lived for that uh, in my twenties, I, I don't, I don't think that's a good way to live. At least it wasn't. It wasn't for me. It was very stressful. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, what was the? Where were we? Cookies. With the cookie question. Yeah, yeah. for the cookie question. <laughs> where the whole cookie thing? <laughs> yeah, that came from like. That comes, that comes a lot. That was when I, when I first started, uh, when I first started doing writing the blog for, for bicycling magazine, well, a, I like cookies. So that's, but everybody likes cookies. Right. Um, but when I started writing the blog for bicycling, um, I, uh, I, you know, it's every week you have to write 400 words. That's kind of hard. I didn't know what I was, you know, I had nothing to do sometimes. So I had uh, I did this race in somewhere in New England or Massachusetts or something, and I uh, I rode the next week. I was like, yeah, this weekend sucked. I think I crashed in the last turn. I didn't make any prize money. I had to go back to my shitty apartment. Uh, but there was one good thing about this town. There was a great cookie at this cafe. I highly recommend it. Uh, and I think like a couple weeks later, someone you know or left a comment like, oh, you should try this cookie. I see you're going to be in this town. You should try this. And then I was at another race, and someone like brought me a cookie. So I was like, oh, that's cool. And I tweeted it to my 500 followers at the time. I was like, yeah, look, someone brought me a cookie. Here's a selfie with that guy. Um, and I very slowly grew into like, I became the cookie guy. And and now like, you know, I'm on Garmin Sharp with Tour of California. We got the big team bus and I'm kind of a big deal in California. And the bus pulls up and there's five people waiting outside with cookies for me. Um, and and Johan Van Summeren doesn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I have a cookie thing, dude. You can have one. It's going to be good. <laughs> um, and I, and I, I got to, when I retired, I kind of just got to embrace it. So the event that I put on, I have my, my cookie themed uh, bike ride in Malibu every year. So I have like celebrity chefs making cookies yeah. and like every, uh, every 20 K in the ride, there's an aid station and, uh, and people stop for cookies um, and it benefits no kid hungry. So that's, yeah, it's just been like one of those weird cycling fans are weird and silly, and uh, and so am I. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's the that's the best I can play with the cookie thing. But but here we are. But you, you you're not manufacturing any cookies, so you don't have a cookie business, an actual cookie business. I don't. I don't. Oh yeah, I guess I should mention the the cookie business. Um, that's I don't. So not years. exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't. My whole thing was I like to eat cookies. I don't want to sell cookies. You know, I don't want to. I feel like it ruins the purity of the cookie thing. If I'm if I'm like, you know, endorsing Oreo, not that Oreo wants to pay me for endorsement, but uh, but for example, um, so I kind of never try to do that. But then during covid for my Fondo, we had a the you know, we couldn't have a big event in 2020. We had a it was called the Bake Your Own Cookie Fondo. So what we did for that was, you know, I think we charged like $40, but we would send you like, here's, 
here's your curated weekend. Here's a weekend where here's the bike ride you should do day one. Here's what you should have for dinner. Here's a recipe from one of our celebrity chefs. Um, and then here's a jar of, at the time, we came up with a jar of cookie mix. So you just add an egg and, uh, and some water or whatever. The, I forget what the ingredients were. But we kind of had like a food scientist friend uh, make us his mail-order cookie mix. Um, and, and people liked it. So we, so now I have the, the Phil's cookie mix. So it's not, I'm not selling cookies. I'm selling like, you know, it's flour, sugar, but it's all measured out. Uh, and you just add your ingredients, bake it yourself. Uh, so we do, we do have that. Uh, that's, that's called, that's called Phil's cookies. All right. Um, what's, what's still to come in your worst retirement? <laughs> it's, yeah. I think, I think the, the retirement <laughs> got better. It's not so worse anymore after six years or no it's true it's a uh, i think it was always ironically worse because i didn't i didn't really have to do it mm -hmm. that was sort of the, the fun was like i i like doing this part um but but definitely like you know if if you look most people don't enjoy suffering up a hill like i do um so when you see me like doing 400 watts up mount hamilton or something like yeah that looks like that sucks um, but I, I always, the whole, it was always tongue in cheek that it, this is a great retirement and I was, I was really enjoying it. Um, yeah, I don't know now I still, you know, I, I have, I have goals. There's still like a lot of KOMs that I haven't gotten to do. Um, I, part of it, I think part of what worked about it was that racing was always very pro centric, uh, or, or cycling in general, like the marketing for brands, mm -hmm. all of that was always very pro centric and it was always very Euro centric. Um, and with respect to Europe, and there's like a lot of good riding to do in the U.S. There's a lot of great uh, communities here. So kind of me doing videos on, you know, no one had ever done a video about Pikes Peak, um, which is a, a great place to ride. No one really had talked about what, what's going on in L.A. So I think I kind of like filled that niche. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would like to, you know, do more videos in Europe. Uh, you know, I'd like to kind of broaden that um, and turn into kind of the, the travel show that I was that I was trying to make. Uh, in 2016 that I was pitching in Hollywood, I'd love for my YouTube channel just turn into that of here's, because I think we all know really like the best way to experience the world is on a bicycle. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, if there is a message I could get out, it's that my, my job is still KOMs and people click more on videos if I'm suffering up a hill. Um, and I try to make like a good thoughtful <laughs> travel video and it's, I, I like making it, but it doesn't get the views. So I, I know what my job is still. Yeah. Um, but I'd love for it to just be like experiential. Give us a call when you're in Germany or when you want to come to Germany. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'd love to. I think Paul um, can ride, really a, ride up a hill with you. Yeah, but I, I, no, I, 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 I Germans know how to ride bikes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Germany, Germany, like the, the cycling there, the, the bike lanes, all that stuff. My, I, my, my dad was German. He's passed, but I have, I have family there. Okay. My grandma, well into her nineties, didn't own a car and rode her bike to the, the market. Uh, every day it's great, uh, but um, they, nobody does where that they are from like East or West Germany or South. Uh, she she lives in Oldenburg. Oh, okay, North mm -hmm. Germany. Yeah. Um, it's kind of north. Yeah, yeah. yeah. nice. Northern. Yeah, but like, but but there I come to like question like, what I really find interesting like with riders like you, you as you mentioned, you're coming over to Europe and there suddenly you're not one of the best anymore because, mm -hmm. like, I don't think that the others have actually like a higher power output but i guess the racing over the years we're learning so many more skills as we i mean you basically riding on the highways <laughs> or like if it's right. not a highway it's at least a right road towards a mountain then mm -hmm. you're going up 
as you mentioned, you're doing 210 watts towards that mountain. And here in Europe, you have corners and all this shit and like small roads and yeah, all, all this stuff. So like a lot of movement, a lot of acceleration without actually racing. Uh, do you think that's like also why Americans struggle sometimes to make it in Europe? Because it's not about just yeah. a simple power up, but like all the stress around it. Agreed. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely an element of that. I think like the I, I always wonder. I'll, I'll never know. Like if I had gone to Europe at you know at 18, would I have adapted to that and you know won a Tour de France stage at some point uh, out of a breakaway kind of thing? Like I think uh, the the guys over there now, like you know Brandon McNulty was racing in Europe from a young age. So I think you adapt to to what's available to you. Um, so. You know, if you live by a velodrome, you're going to be really good at track racing. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and if you live in Belgium, you're going to know how to rip a cobblestone and, and find the right lines and be very smooth, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. The the racing here, it, it lends itself to, um, you know, recovering in a pack and then a power to weight contest. So like Joe Dombrowski, I think, is a good example. Mm -hmm. Like he's uh, he, he's not known for like being really good in a pack. His power to weight is is insane off the charts. Uh, but how often does he really get to use it uh, in the European style of racing uh, for himself? Whereas other guys that kind of just are raised in Europe for the most part. Yeah. What is your, or what do you think about the new, or it isn't really new, the LA crit racing scene? Like we in Europe now get a lot of content from Legion of LA and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a big thing. And what's your relationship to that? And the big fight. Yeah, that just that just happened. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Crit racing is it's one of those things. Like I was I was never I came up in Florida, which that's all there is is crit racing. Mm -hmm. uh, when I started, I didn't know I was a climber until like my fourth year racing because <laughs> I didn't I didn't do a mountain. Um, <laughs> but I was I always had to either I was in the breakaway or I lost. Um, but yeah, I mean the crit thing. It's definitely grown here. It's spectator friendly. Um, it's it's content friendly. It's 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 shareable. It's good for Instagram. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's like kind of a ceiling. I don't know how much it can grow if it can have like a ceiling to it. Because to me, you know, if there's a tight corner with 200 meters to go, there's only two guys. Or there's only room for one guy. And so what we saw was a fight because it's that's the only way it can go is a fight. <laughs> like it's just crit racing is in a way like inherently violent. Um, It's, it's 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 like F1 minus the money, but like F1, you know, two guys are side by side in the last turn. One guy has to give it up. Mm. Um, and and those guys are making 20 million a year and want to keep it that way. Uh, and whereas these guys are are hungry and it's it's very top heavy and there's really not enough to go around uh, financially or whatever. Like, you know, I know what I was making back then. It's way harder now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. It's it's. I like that they're doing something. I like that American racing is is taking its own kind of spin. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I don't have to race criteriums. And look, I mean, it's just scary. Like it was one of those things. I watched that. I'm like, I can't believe I ever did that. I can't believe I survived that. Uh, it's it's a crazy scene. But where do you think American cycling will evolve to? Like, will be um, crit racing the big thing, like commercially, huh? Like, uh, or yeah, or is it uh, gravel? I mean, I don't know road racing. I mean, it's kind of dead. I think you had this year again, like one UCI stage race, isn't it? Redlands was yeah. back. Yeah. And, but it's a long way. Huh? It's coming back to like where it was 10 years ago or something. So where do you see US cycling right. uh, developing? 
I mean, what what it was what it was when I came up was basically they were trying to just simulate European racing as much as they could and be like this sort of feeder copycat thing. Um, and I think that kind of worked when Lance Armstrong was a big name uh, and and Lamond and all that. But I but I think well, obviously it failed uh, long term to to kind of have that approach. So it, it, I don't think it'll be that. Um, but the, the part, of the, part of the thing is like in America, just bike racing isn't cool. So that's something that like, I guess Legion has, has improved is like, it's at least more interesting to, to spectators and, and an audience. But, um, but you know, the city doesn't want you to have a race. So it's, I think it's, it, I think it's, I guess the answer is I think it's going to stay small and niche here and it's going to find, so there'll be gravel, there'll be criteriums, there'll be, you know, some hill climbs, uh, there'll be fondos. But, you know, when I put on, if I put on an event, when I put on my event here in Malibu, um, you know, the police and the city, they don't help. They charge you $40,000 to have permits, mm. you know, whereas in, in Switzerland, the city says, okay, we'll give you $20,000 to close the roads and we'll give you 400 hotel rooms. <laughs> like here, it's just the opposite because cycling isn't cool. I think the, the, it needs to be like a culture change for that to fix. It's a bigger conversation. We love our cars. Cyclists are in the way. Uh, that That's America at this point. Um, so yeah, we're, I don't know, bike racing isn't really the problem. All right. I guess I can uh, ask the final question now. Um, We have the tradition uh, to to ask our guests the rider bingo. <laughs> so okay. It's two questions. Um, first one is which of your former colleagues or can be teammates, can be um, other riders, who did you like the most or who did you admire or stuff like that and why? Okay, I got to pick one. Oof. <laughs> um, probably there's, I mean, there's a, there's a long list. Like every year I'd be friends with someone that I'm going to take forever. Um, I still talk to Tom Screench a lot. Uh, I, Mike Woods was fun because I, I, Mike Woods and I were teammates before he knew that he was good. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that Mike Woods was good because he was dropping me and I was just kind of out of the world tour, but he didn't know he was good yet. And that was really fun to watch him figure that out <laughs> and to see, did he win the stage today or uh, I, no, he was he in the breakaway tour just now? Yeah. Okay. All right. Never mind. Mike sucks. Um, <laughs> but so he's, he's definitely one like that inspired me a lot. I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, but I'd say, I think Alex house is probably the one that I, I talk to the most often. Um, he's, uh, he won the national road race championship, but he always kind of took like, he always enjoyed himself. I think the right amount, like he did, a, he was, he was, he was more talented than me, which definitely helps, but he didn't, he, he worked hard. We didn't have to work that hard. He didn't torture himself. Um, but he always had fun. He always had a light attitude. Nobody ever had a bad word to say about him. I was always complaining. I was just miserable those years. Um, I don't think Alex made any enemies. Um, so yeah, he's, he's probably my favorite, my favorite hang, uh, for, for the bingo question, but it's a deep list. Second question, who annoyed you? Who sucked? Anyone and why? <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. Who would you least, the, uh, least I mean, there's a lot of those. to a barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
That's also a long list. That might even be a longer <laughs> list. The, the thing is, in the U.S., you have like there's there's when no one's getting paid, uh, which was the case for the first six years, no one's making a living on the team. Uh, you're all bad teammates because if you're a good teammate and you swing off with your emirs to go, you get nothing and and no one's going to do that. So like those years was always banging the head. Like everyone was just racing selfishly. Uh, and it was tough. I had, I had a rough time teammates with, with Guillaume Boyven, uh, when we were, so he came off of Cannondale when I came off of Garmin Sharp. Um, and we both went to, to Optum together and, and, and we both, the whole plan was, I want to get the heck off this team and go back to world tour because this isn't where we want to be. Um, but the difference is like, I'm a climber. So guys were working for me and he was a not a sprinter. He's kind of an all rounder, uh, but he just didn't want to be a teammate that year, which is, uh, which really pissed everybody off. But it also makes complete sense because why would you be a good teammate? That's how you don't go back to world tour. Mm. Uh, so we, we butted heads a lot that year. Uh, and, but I completely understand. And at the end of it, like, obviously he deserves to be back in Europe. Um, and he was, but I just remember having conversations with him and like, we had the team meeting and it's like, his job is to lead out this one guy. And, and he was like, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and I was like, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, yeah. So that, I guess that would, that'd be like the teammate I had the most trouble with, but, but it was one, it was just like, it was the situation more than the guy. Um, I think now I think he's all right. I think, I think we'd have a beer now. So that's a bad answer. I'm, I'm not being, uh, political. Jonathan Vodders, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all the, all right. old dopers. There we go. But yeah. we note that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can understand too, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The, the ones I'll take it personal uh, makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. Uh, I think. D does anyone have questions left? No. You. No. no. I wanted to. No, this was fun. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you that you took your time. Um, and yeah, maybe. No, I, no, I, I have one more question. I have one more question. Last one. How often do you, you train? So how many hours a week? And are you still having a like a proper training program with a coach? Okay. Um, I Last year, I averaged 22 hours a week. Um, Average. And I go on and off with... Yeah, so I have I still have my coach, Frank Overton, who I worked with when I was racing. Um, he gives me a plan and I'm, I don't, I don't follow it like I used to, but I, I move it around, but, but yes, I do. It kind of just helps to have structure. It's more like, it's not like I need to, but I feel like if I have, these are the intervals to do today. Um, I have, I have four minute intervals today when I, when we get off here, I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to do four by six minutes on, uh, I'm sorry, six by four minutes on four minutes off. Uh, I'm gonna do that in Hollywood, maybe see you in uh, Griffith Park. <laughs> At 22 hours average is quite... Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, but it's I don't go as hard as I used to. Put it that way. There's more, you know, more easy riding, yeah, more yeah, uh, yeah. more coffee stops. Yeah, I get it. But it's still, not the same as a world tour load yeah, by kilojoules. So, sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Best it's retirement nice. ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right. Thank you. Cool. Thank you so much. All right. And thank uh, you guys. Uh, when you come to Germany, give yep. us a call. Yep. I'll All right. <laughs> See you. Bye. 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 -bye.